0: and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So we are jumping back into Acts. I think we're going to get through Acts chapter 1 this morning. I think. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts 1. Ho- hopefully you're, you're, you're there. If you're in Aggie... If you've been an Aggie for for two seconds, then you are familiar with the 12th man tradition. (laughs) The story of E. King Gill, he was pulled out of the press box in in a 1922 game against the powerhouse of Center College, still a powerhouse to this day. A student, Gil, he, he suited up and he, and he, and he, he stood ready to, to play on the sidelines if the squad needed him. And it, and it, came, to, it came to symbolize the spirit of, of readiness, spirit of service, the spirit of enthusiasm. And listen, y'all, this made a lot of sense in 1922 when everyone on the football field was under 220 pounds. Students. <laughs> I know you think you're ready, <laughs> but I don't care if they put you in against Lamar. Like those three hundred pound men will kill you and they will eat you. Just saying. <laughs> in 1990, A and M uh, trademarked the twelfth man, and, and and other teams ever since have been have been paying the price to use it. I, I'm pretty sure there was a a full blown lawsuit. Uh, back uh, years back against the Seattle Seahawks, who eventually had to drop the 12th man, and they they came out with uh, uh, get this, the, the, they they had to settle for the 12s, lame. <laughs> but listen, I'm all for I'm all for some Aggie tradition. I mean, Steph and I, Steph serving in the kids this morning, but we're we're not we're not like rocking a, a, a maroon suburban. Uh, but but students. Well, for tradition, let me tell you, if you, if you follow Jesus, a and is not the original home of the 12th man, okay? I, 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 I hate to break it to you, uh, there, there are 12 men that were infinitely and are infinitely more important to the foundation of your faith than any Aggie tradition. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, all right, we're on the same page. That may be Aggie blasphemy, but it's biblical truth, Okay. <laughs> Uh, this morning I I, I want to tell you that the first century church was was the home of the original 12th man. And without without their readiness, without without their passion, without their sacrificial service, uh, we're not here this morning. Like we're not we're not together. We're not we're not worshiping a risen savior and Lord and, and, and so here's my Here's my prayer this morning. If, if you're here, and, and this, is, this has been my prayer all week, and, and you are, you're struggling in your faith, if, if you are wrestling with, with doubt, or, or maybe, maybe you've wrestled with the validity of the New Testament, I, I hope, my, like my prayer is that maybe today marks a turning point. I, I, my, my, my prayer is that, or at the very least, maybe this morning it ignites the, this, this spark that, that leads to renewal and, and revival in your life and, and maybe in the life of our church. And if you've here, you're here and you, you've never trusted Jesus, never trusted Jesus as Savior and, and Lord and believed on Him uh, alone, for your salvation, my, my prayer is that you come to embrace not only the reliability of Scripture, um, but, but that you experience the reality of God's love through Jesus Christ. And so I want to jump in this morning and, and just a reminder of, of the context. So already we've seen in Acts 1 and verse 4, there was this promise of the coming uh, Holy Spirit. And, and, and we talked about this last week. It was different. It was different than the presence of the Spirit in the Old Testament. It, it, was, in, it was according to these, these prophecies of the Old Testament. So you had this promise of His coming. Then in verse 8 of, of Acts chapter 1, you, you, you had this call to be witnesses. And then in 10 and 11, a crazy thing happened. Jesus, as He's gathered with about 120, He, he ascends up into heaven and, and, and so that, that's the context is they've just kind of broken their their gaze away from Jesus ascending. They're kind of uh, shaken back to reality by the charge of the angels of saying, hey, like, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> right. He's coming back. Um, and, and so it, it puts us uh, into verse 12. As, as the apostles and, the, and some, some others left the ascension and they left the, the cloud of glory, the glory of Jesus. And the angels' words are still sort of lingering. And they begin to make their trek down the mountain. Uh, and, and we see something interesting. I, I, I want to I read verses 12-14 through 14 again. I know Pastor Matt already read it. It says, They returned to Jerusalem. From the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. Not (laughs) Iscariot. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Jesus, brothers. First thing I want to say this morning is that there, there is power in unified prayer. Amen? There is power in unified prayer. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, unified prayer. Unified prayer. All right, look at your other neighbor and say, unified prayer. Unified so, so we see prayer 31 different times in, in Acts. And in 21 of the 28 chapters, we we see this emphasis on prayer. And so in verse 12... The apostles and this group of people, they're making their way down the mountain. The text says about a Sabbath day journey. This was based on a very legalistic interpretation of the mission. It was about a, a kilometer. I guess that's how far you could journey on the Sabbath day, uh, according to the scribes. Uh, and now I, I don't. I don't think that we can determine with with certainty from the text, but I I, I tend to to believe uh, with Kent Hughes that that this was the same upper room in which Jesus dined with the disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, Kent Hughes says this, the Greek text says the upper room. So, so not, not just the, uh, an upper room, not just, not just any other room. It, was, it says the upper room. And so it's got that article, the. So, so if this is correct, if it is the upper room that Jesus dined with his disciples, that he instituted the Lord's Supper, Kent Hughes says it's, it's beautiful, b- beautifully fitting that the Holy Spirit was given in the very same room in which Jesus promised him. In John 14, 16-18, Jesus had said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper, helper to be with you forever. We read this last week. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He will dwell with you and be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So they're gathered, they're gathered in the upper room. And, and, and listen, I, I know uh, uh, one, two, two of our, our, our deacons and and small group leaders, I, I know, I know the Ellis can can pack like 50 people into their MCG slash house church, but but if you if you can imagine, see half the congregation is in their their MCG. It, 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 it's important, listen, there were 120 people. So, so a hundred, this was no small room. This was no small room to hold 120 people, men and women. And so it's church, it's important that it, 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 before we talk about the, uh, before we talk about the, 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 this group, we, we got to talk, we got to talk about who was in the room. We got to talk about who was there. We can't gloss over the significance of that before we move on to uh, and and focus on the unity of of their prayer. And so this was a diverse group. It it included not only the 11 apostles, right, minus minus Judas, which the text is going to break down in, in, in a minute what happened to Judas, but also Jesus' brothers Jesus' brothers were there. This is significant because one of the last times we saw Jesus' brothers in John chapter 7, they're mocking him. They're, they're ridiculing him. But here, clearly, they have had a complete change of heart. Maybe it was catalyzed by Jesus' appearance. We know in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to his brother James, who ends up leading the, 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 Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. It also says that many of the women who had followed Jesus and ministered to them uh, were, were also there in the room. Plus, Mary, Jesus' mother, was present. And, and, and this, it's significant that Mary was there. Notice, she's mentioned as part of the group. A co-worshipper, a prayer warrior with them. Not the focal point of the group. And this is the last time we're going to see Mary in the New Testament. It's important. And so this group, they huddle together. And the text tells us that all of these, verse 14, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. In the Greek, that that, that idea of one accord is is pertaining to mutual consent or agreement with with one mind. This is the big idea. The big idea is that they were unanimously praying for the same thing. Let that sink in. 120 people unanimously praying for the same thing. And it was fervent prayer that was continuous. And so you want to talk about restoration. One of our core values is expectant worship. This is the picture of expectant worship and belief, church. This is it. No, they were waiting. Like, this was not a passive waiting. They knew that God was about to move. And something that we see, as we see throughout Scripture, prayer always precedes great movements of God. Always. Prayer always precedes these great movements of God. Harry Ironsad says this when God is going to do something great, he moves the hearts of people to pray. He stirs them up to pray in view of that which he is about to do so that they might be prepared for it. The disciples needed the self-examination that comes through prayer and supplication that they might be ready for the tremendous event which was about to take place. You got to come back next week for that, okay? I think we'll be in Acts chapter 2. David Peterson says it's striking that almost every important turning point in the narrative of God's redemptive action and acts, we find mention of prayer. So here's the big idea. In, in, in light of Jesus promise, in light of, of the mission of God, in light of their, their dependence on God for their source of, pra- uh, of power, like the, their prayers were not selfish. They were not not selfish prayers for arbitrary sort of temporal things. Church, their prayer was for God to move. Their their prayer was for God just to move on them and for God to move on the world. They were focused on the gospel and on the glory of God, period. That was their sole focus. And I was thinking about it. I know I know of at least one student at restoration who is daily praying for a different country. It's the coolest thing. For, and, and so he, he prays for the church there, for their, their gospel witness, for their protection. And, and, I, and I love it, but I want you to get this picture. Imagine a, a groundswell of unity around this hundreds of students and adults praying with one mind that, that God, for God to move here and among the nations. Imagine that. And, and, and I think what's scary is, is I think about you know part of the problem with the American church and American church culture is, is we've got too many churches and we've got too many pastors and we've got uh, too many individuals within the church looking to build their, their little mini-kingdom but not the kingdom. And what happens is, is what we, we, we laden our prayers with, with our agendas. And with our desires, instead of stripping it down to this surrendered state of, Oh God, move! Come and fall on us! Move in power! Or we're sunk. And part of me has, has this, this sinking feeling that too many churches are, are using the name of Jesus as, as the means to some other end. Whether it be their personal glory, whether it be their name, whether it be their ideology, their personal profit, or their comfort. And so the, the, what, what happens is the capital C church has, has all these thousands of local churches praying for their stuff and praying for their agendas. But we're not collectively rattling the heavens with one voice saying, God, move in power. We're not doing that. We're not saying, Lord, save people. Spirit, launch us out into the nations. Starting right here, right here on our block. To make disciples. To, to be your witnesses for your glory alone. But They were unified. The early church was unified in their prayer. and There was power. Second thing this morning. Our witness church is built on the foundation of the witness of the 12. It's a super long point. Like I wanted to change it a hundred times, but I I want this to sink in. Um, I want you to look at your neighbor. Yeah, we're doing it again. I want you to say the witness of the 12. Look at your other neighbor. Say it like you mean it, the witness of the 12. It's important there's a lot packed into these few verses in acts one, and we're going to get to the witness of the twelve, but as we look at verses fifteen through twenty six there there there's so many rabbit trails we could take there there's a uh, I was talking to Brady about this before the service like that we there there's there's a lot of side trails we could take why did i'll give you a handful <laughs> Why did Matthew say that Jesus hung himself when Luke says he fell headlong and his stomach burst open? I, I I don't I don't think these two things are incompatible. It's reasonable to say that whether the hanging was successful or whether the the branch broke, that when he fell, it resulted in Luke's depiction. What we could talk about what is the significance of 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 Luke quoting the or, or really. Uh, Peter quoting these Psalms in Psalm, if you want to write this down, Psalm 69 25, in Psalm 109 8. And in Psalm 69, we see David's pleas for deliverance uh, from his enemies and in judgment of his enemies. In Psalm 109, we see the call for judgment and a, cre- a request from King David that his enemies' days not only be few, but that another seize his enemies' portion, their, their their assets, their goods. And as in many of David's psalms, we see this sort of messianic foreshadowing where, where David's, catch this, David's trials, David's enemies in his triumphs point ahead and ultimately find their future fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Amen? And F.F. Bruce says both the defection of Judas and the necessity of replacing him are viewed here as subjects of Old Testament prophecy. But also, listen, this also just sort of it it, it, more than sort of it highlights the sovereignty of of God that nothing happens outside of his plan or awareness, not not even the betrayal of Judas. And we're going to see that again in Acts three, Acts two and three. We could we could spend an inordinate amount of time on what in the world are lots and why would you cast them? <laughs> uh, keep in mind, this is the last recorded time in Scripture, which makes sense that the Holy Spirit in, in dwelling and in, in guiding them, w- was coming to guide them in, in only a matter of days. We could debate whether why Matthias was chosen over... Uh, barsabbas but i honestly think we it, it's it's clear i think it's very clear something shady is going on if you got 3 names right <laughs> that's a joke barsabbas meant son of the sabbath matthias matthias meant gift of god i mean talk about being set up for the win you know <laughs> Guys, I think I'll be a gift to this group. (laughs) We could also spend time talking about the necessity of, of the 12 why there had to be 12 12 tribes of Israel. A verse that we've mentioned before, Jesus had promised in Matthew 19, 28, that in the renewal of all things, the, the apostles would judge over Israel on 12 thrones. At the end of scripture in Revelation 4, we actually see 24 elders seated on 24 thrones wearing golden crowns and clothed in white. But we could we could we could camp out all day there, but here's here's where I want to rest this morning and, and, and I want to stay for a moment. See, we can we can debate about those things. We can debate about the significance of why 12, but what we can't debate was the role of the 12. Y'all with me? We can't debate the role of the 12. Without a doubt, Peter lays out both the task and the qualification. They must be they must bear witness to His resurrection. Like that was that was the heart, this was the heart of the matter. We see this in verse 22, but far more than just being present as, as witnesses when Jesus rose, these men, they shared life with Jesus. They shared their lives with Jesus. Church, hear me, this is important. They, they were there. From the beginning, when Jesus emerged from the water at his baptism, and the Father said, this is, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. These men walked with Jesus. They ate meals with him. They, they hung on every word as, as he taught and shared parables and stories and truth. They, they tasted the wine in Cana as he as He transformed water to wine. They, they watched as He fashioned mud from His own spit to heal a man's eyes. They listened in on the conversation with the Samaritan woman in astonishment and shock. They were there. Church fam, they, they were there. They were witnesses to His bodily resurrection. And with the exception of John, every single one of these men laid down their lives and sacrificed for the gospel. Though only Peter, James, and John are mentioned again, history reveals that they, they were all martyred for their faith. Even Matthias died as a martyr, tradition says, in Ethiopia. But it's these men, it's their testimony that informs the New Testament. I want, y'all to, I want y'all to check something out with me. Look, turn over to John 17. I want to I take a look at this passage that I think we often overlook and, and, and we're going to understand. Hopefully we'll understand the connection. John 17, 1-8 says this. When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given, given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Listen to this. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's important. and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. Notice Jesus says, I believe it's in verse 4, that it was at this point, at that point, that he had accomplished the work that the Father gave him to do. What? Keep in mind, this is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. Like, What work is he talking about that's accomplished, it's completed? Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me. They know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words you gave me. So what work has been accomplished? I would argue the preparation in the discipleship of the twelve. Of the apostles. And see, here's, here's the important part. If you keep going in John 17, 15 through 19 says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them into the truth, in the truth. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. See, church, an apostle, by definition, is one who is sent out. It, an apostle is one who is a, a messenger. So, so Jesus set these men apart for a special task. I believe a, a one-time role in office to go to the world as eyewitnesses of the grace and the glory of Christ. Daryl Bach says the mission, the ministry of apostleship, was a commission to testify to Jesus in His resurrection for those who had had a direct experience of the Lord through His teaching and vindication. So here, here's let, let me let's let's drop some application here. Do you struggle to believe? Do you, is are there times where 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 Christian, you, you waver in your faith and, and, and you, the, the, these thoughts come in your mind and you wonder and wrestle with, hey, is, is God's Word reliable? It's so crazy. So often people's belief systems are kind of like this mashed up smorgasbord of personal experience, heritage, <laughs> the history channel, the media, culture, their teachers, internet articles, books, sometimes books that have been very recently written, or, or other religious systems with far less historical backing than Christianity. And, and, and here's where I want to drop, drop some information. Listen, all, all of the New Testament books have a direct link to the, tes, to, to the testimony of an apostle within their lifetime. All of them in future chapters of Acts we will talk about the unique apostleship of Paul. The New Testament books were all written within 50 years and completed before the close of the first century. No, no other book comes close to. No other book in antiquity comes close to the manuscript evidence that we have through the New Testament. If you rolled through the theology class last year, you like you 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 know this and you heard this. There are more than five thousand seven hundred Greek manuscripts containing either parts or all of the New Testament text. Our oldest surviving Greek uh, manuscripts contain. Uh, or come from the Gospel of John. The oldest one comes from the Gospel of John from the New Testament. And it dates to A.D. 130, within a century, within a century of the original text. And so let, let me let, let's let's for comparison. Plato, his his tetralogies was written in 400 B.C. Our earliest surviving manuscripts are from A.D. 895. That's 1,300-year gap. Even Homer's Iliad, it was written in 800 B.C. The earliest manuscript we we have comes from 400 B.C., 400 years after he wrote it. Herodotus, history, where we derive a lot of our understanding of history. There is a 1,500 year gap between when he wrote and the earliest available manuscript. 1,500 years. Caesar's, his writing on the Gaelic Gaelic Wars, 900-year gap. And those are not completed manuscripts. Those are partial manuscripts. The oldest New Testament manuscript that we have, completed New Testament, this Codex Sinaiticus, dates from the 4th century. Scholars believe it was written somewhere between 330 and 360. A whole preserved copy of the New Testament. And church fam, understand because we have over 5,700 Greek manuscripts and over 23,700 known manuscripts of the New Testament in all languages, the ability to to piece together the parts and the holes from across all the evidence gives us a tremendously accurate rendering of the original copies. So, when I say that our witness is built on the foundation of the witness of the 12, like that's not an empty statement. Like, I'm not, I, I'm not just, hey, just trust me. Like, our witness, it's built on the, the witness of these 12s. We're good here. No, it's a statement that's loaded with faith building substance, rooted in history and archaeology and manuscript evidence. Amen? It's built. On the witness, the testimony of the 12. The last point that I want to make this morning is this. Listen, the office, I believe the office may be closed, but the gifting continues. And, and, And I'm going to unpack that. See, if you come back to John 17. 20 through 24 says this. Jesus is praying and he he says, I do not ask for these only, John 17, 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. How cool is that? Even as you have loved and loved them, even as you love me. And verse 24 says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What's going on in verse 20 of John 17? Let me tell you what's going on. Christian, Jesus is praying for you. Like he's like you're on his heart and his mind right there. He is praying for you. Let 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 that sink in. Church, though, 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 I, I personally believe that the office of apostle is closed. The gifting of apostleship continues uh, and here. Here's I, I think here's what I mean by that. I think it's important to differentiate in light of the unique qualification of verses 21 and 22 but please hear me when I say, I don't care who you are. If you profess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have been sent out. You, you, are, you are a messenger. You are a kingdom ambassador to represent King Jesus. And, and there, there are people in this room who, who I, I, I know God will call out. To blaze new trails. To, to plant churches. To start ministries. And, and, and to be missionaries all over the globe. But honestly, it probably needs to start tomorrow with a gospel-centered conversation with your coworker, Or with that classmate. Or, or with that family member. See, remember the world and, and, and the church needed... The witness of the 12 for, for many reasons. But the, the world needs your witness right now. The world needs your witness right now. The question is, are, are you answering the call? Are you answering God's call? And I, I'll, I'll close with this this morning. I, I think there's so, those, there's so many who sort of have this agnostic approach to God. Okay, well, if if God, if God would just show me uh, some type of a sign, uh, I I would I would believe. Talked about this with a few folks, but but Steph and I, back in the fall, we went and saw the, the, the space movie with Brad Pitt, Ad Astra. If you don't like spoilers, grab your earmuffs. Pitt's, uh, Pitt's character, Roy, he, he goes to the far reaches of space to, to save the earth, to, to, to track down, chase down his dad. But, but, but also there's this underlying, he's in search of, of other, there's a search for other intelligent life and communication. And in the end, instead of God, instead of extraterrestrial existence, he finds only Silence. Right, no 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 sign, no communication and his conclusion is, you know, humanity like we're 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 all that we've got, right? Listen. <laughs> we communicate in words in language. Is it so shocking that God would reveal himself through a book? We are relational beings hardwired for community. And the Bible says that God exists as a triune God in perfect relationship within Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we we can deny it all we want, but we know as a people that, that we are not what we were created to be. We, we fall short and like we, I think deep down we know it. Is it so shocking that God would reveal himself in the same suit of flesh to show us what we were created for? See, God, God is not playing hide and seek. Like your, your eternity is not a game for him. This this is your soul on the line. That's why I sent Jesus. Hebrews 6.19 tells us, let these words sink in. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. See, this, this side of eternity... There, there, there must always be this element of, of faith. It's always gonna be this element of faith. I don't care what your belief system is. I don't I don't take I don't care if you're an atheist or an agnostic. It takes faith to to, to believe that. But God, God does not call us to a, a blind uninformed faith. The call to believe in Jesus. His, his sacrificial death that covers your sin. His resurrection life that is secured and declares victory over sin and death. That, that call is built on the blood, the testimony, and the eyewitness of the twelve. The question is, have you Have you answered that call? Y'all pray with me this morning.